to episode 140 of the Various Accessories Podcast. I am your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the virtual studio outside the campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who is leisurely enjoying his Labor Day weekend, John Scott Sloat. Doc, what's happening? Well, uh, we are having to record virtually because it's Monday of Labor Day. Which is the day we usually record on Mondays. Yes. And um, neither of us is on campus, understandably so. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tuesday, when this episode drops, you're just a man who's too busy. I have too many meetings. Well, normally I have a lot of meetings on Mondays, but because of the... Labor Day, they moved all those meetings to Tuesday. And so my Tuesday is quite busy. Yeah. It's that new boss of yours, just a slave driver. That's right. Yeah. He cracks the whip. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's one to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you'd like to keep an eye on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Pod. You can email the show, variousandsundrypodcast at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, and we are on YouTube. Though, to be honest, I'm not sure I've really checked those since we made our switch over to our new uh, podcast service. So I'm, I'm taking by faith that we're still on those platforms. I'll have to go back and look. Yeah, um, I, I, I have no clue. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we, we got to find an intern, right? Some, yeah, some we, poor student who can handle this for us. That we don't have to pay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, they're, unpaid. They're, <laughs> unpaid internship. Unpaid yes, intern. Sure. Get us coffee and water and whatnot and to, to make sure this is found in all the right places. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we would love for you to leave a review and a five-star rating on whatever platform you access the show. All right. So let's talk some sports, John. Big weekend of college football. Did you watch any of it? Uh, I watched a little bit of college football. Um, I turned on, what game did I turn on? Oh goodness, it was a blowout at halftime. And then, and then I went like, why am I watching this? Why am I watching a game that's a that's a significant blowout? It was probably the Georgia-Oregon game. Yes, yes, that was it. Yes, I was watching Georgia-Oregon. Yeah. Um, and was under the impression, I turned it on going, oh, this will be good. And it was not. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Um, Georgia's really good. They're the defending national champs. Uh, I don't know how good Oregon is. So I don't know how impressed to be with that victory. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, again, very early in the year. Uh, obviously, the big game of the weekend, at least in my estimation, and even just, you know, the I think two so. highest ranked Th- teams. Yeah. Top 10 matchup. I think yeah. Top fair. five matchup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ohio State beat Notre Dame 21-10. And um, a a very different kind of game than I expected. I think just about everybody expected. Um, The Ohio State offense struggled early. Notre Dame came out with a very good game plan, uh, ran the ball, controlled the ball, um, and did some things on defense that that put Ohio State in some trouble. Uh, It didn't help that Ohio State lost their uh 
all-world wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba to injury early in the game. He came back, tried to make a go of it, clearly was not himself, uh, and then they took him out. Um, so, um, but Ohio State wins. Uh, the came back here, came back in the second half. Yeah, they were down 10-7 at the half, uh, and Ohio State shut them out in the second half um, and put the game away, really. They were up 14-10 with about 10 minutes left, got the ball in their own five-yard line, and just smash-mouth football, powered it down the field, and scored with like four and a half, five minutes left to kind of put it into a two-score game. And that was pretty much the ball game right there. Yeah. Were so what was it? Was it um, Notre Dame was a little bit better than you expected, or was it Ohio State just came out a little flat and then turned it on, or is it a, a combination? I think it's probably a combination. I think uh, Notre Dame's a really good team. I think their defense is very good. Um, Ohio, they got Ohio State out of sync, and um, they managed to uh, Basically, they decided, we're going to force you to dink and dunk the ball down the field. We're going to put two safeties back so nobody gets over the top and uh, force you to run the ball. And it didn't really click until the second half when Ohio State decided, hey, we should actually run the ball. Um, I love Ryan Day as a coach, but he can be a little pass happy sometimes. Mm. And with a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback, elite wide receivers, you understand why he wants to throw the ball a lot. But sometimes he just loses sight of, you know, it's okay to run the ball and to pound away and get three yards, five yards, six yards, two yards, seven yards, eight yards, four yards. Like to take the that that sort of pound it down their throats kind of approach. So Yeah, and that can be de- very demoralizing for a defense, even more than the home run hitter, you know, um, yeah. than, than going deep. Some of that, that methodically moving down the field can be uh, can be worse. Yes. And uh, I think the big takeaway, uh, the, the offense will be fine. They're uber talented. They're, they're going to be fine. They'll figure things out. Um, the big takeaway is the Ohio State defense, which was absolutely trash last year, was lights out good. Um, they looked terrific. And granted, Notre Dame was starting a first uh, first time starter. So young quarterback, but they did a good job getting pressure on them. They shut down the run and, um, you know, uh, if you'd have told me before the game that our defense would only give up 10 points, I would have taken that and uh, said, that's phenomenal news. So mm-hmm. um, very pleased with that. So that, that bodes well for Ohio State moving forward down 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 the road there. Very nice. Uh, I did want to hit on two other college football games that were, and this is part of what I love about college football. You get more of these like crazy endings these crazy games um appalachian state against north carolina uh in-state game right so yes yes um, very much so and what's uh what's crazy is going at the end of the third quarter north carolina was up um i think the score was 40 42 to 20 or something like that. 42-20, 42-21, something like that. I think it's 42-21. Appalachian State scored, are you ready for this? 40 points in the fourth quarter. And lost. Yeah, Appalachian State's just kind of always one of those teams that 
you kind of go, oh, they're a small school. They're no good, yeah. but they always turn up. They, they, they always show up and always play well. Right. So here was the crazy ending. Uh, Appalachian State scores with like, oh, it's probably like 30 seconds left. And they decide to go for two to win it. Okay. They're down one. They could kick the extra point. They go for two. Uh, they don't get it. Miss a wide open guy, like beautiful play call, beautiful design. Quarterback just overthrows it slightly. The conversion's no good. So they're down mm-hmm. one. They try the onside kick. North Carolina returns the onside kick for a touchdown. Oh. So now they're up eight. Mm. North Carolina kicks off. Appalachian State marches down the field in like 30 seconds and scores a touchdown. To tr- and so now they have, they have to try for two. Sure, sure. Just a tie. They missed the two point. They missed the two point conversion again. End up losing by two. That was crazy. Uh, the other game that was fun to watch was last night, uh, Florida State against LSU. Yeah, did you see can, any of these highlights? Yes, yes, I did. Um, and I, I have thoughts on Brian Kelly. <laughs> well, go ahead, share them. Well, I mean, did you see the 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 thing that was going around social media this past summer where he's in he's making these weird dad dance moves with with a recruit <laughs> in like this laser show? And that guy ultimately, I believe, uh, goes to Alabama, right? No. <laughs> like that guy didn't come to LSU. Um, I, I I didn't see that, but I, I did see him talking in a in a Southern accent suddenly. Now that oh he's the goodness. coach at LSU, yeah, he's a joke. Um, and so that that's a bad start. I mean, that was like three weeks in uh, to his coaching tenure at LSU. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then, I, when was the last time Florida State was really good? Do, do you remember? Well, they won a national title in like 2013, I think. Yeah, it's so it's been with, almost with Jameis with Jameis Winston. I That's think. right. So it's it's been almost ten years uh, since they were really really good. And yeah, my goodness, uh, they just they just yeah they didn't look good. And I I can't help but think like, dude. You were rolling in Catholic money. Uh, <laughs> and you go down there, you do the Southern accent thing. You, you dance like a weirdo with this recruit who doesn't end up with you. That ends up all over social media. Man, what a, what a disaster. What a what a mess for Brian uh, Kelly. Yes. Now, and then you this lose is one, the game, you way you lose. Yeah. This is one area where Notre Dame fans and I can agree on the buffoon that is Brian Kelly now. So, Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the game last night, uh, I don't know if you saw the highlights, but uh, Florida state up 24, 10 uh, LSU goes down and scores. And um, f- so they're up. So FSU is up 24, 17 and um, you've got, uh, Florida State forced to punt back to LSU with like a, I don't know, minute and a half left. Yep. Um, and the LSU kid muffs the punt. The second one he muffed that last night. Florida State recovers at like the seven yard line of LSU. And you're like, oh, well, this game's over. Until, of course, Florida State on third down fumbles the ball 
at the one yard line of LSU. So LSU has to go like 99 yards in 30 seconds or so. And miraculously, they manage to do it. They score a touchdown on the very last play of regulation. And then Florida State blocks the extra point and the game's over. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just bad. It's just bad. Brutal. Uh, It's brutal. But Brian Kelly, what a Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, um, I... I don't want to talk sports too long here, but this is your time now to give your season preview slash prediction for your beloved New York football jets. Oh my goodness. Well, so give us a preview and give us a projected record. So the first five or six games are just for the most part, really tough. So we next Sunday we're, we're against the Ravens. Um, okay. At home, but that's a good football team. Uh, then the Browns. I feel pretty good about that one. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that won't make Nate in Ohio very happy, but yeah, I'm sure I'll get text all 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 day the 18th. Um, yeah, and then we have the Bengals, uh, which will be defending interesting. AFC champs. Yeah, could be slumping though. You know, teams that lose the Super Bowl often slump. Um, and then the Steelers, and then the Dolphins. So and, okay, and yeah, and then the Packers, and then the Broncos. Okay. Um, so that's the start of the season. That's that's a nasty schedule to to start things out. However, we finished the season November twentieth: Patriots, Bears, Vikings, Bills, Lions, Jags. Seahawks, and we end the season against the Dolphins on January 8th. Okay. So there's a number of very winnable games down the stretch. All right. So what what is a successful season? What 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 is a sort of minimum you would be happy with? How many games do they have to win for you to walk away from the season going, that was a, that was, that was a good season based on where we're at? If they win... Eight games and Zach Wilson is improving. I'll be over the. I'll be over the moon. I'll be so okay. excited. Now you realize that's not going five hundred anymore because that's of the right. Seventeen games. That's schedule. right. Yeah, that's an eight and nine record. That's an eight and yeah. nine record. I have us beating the Patriots once and the Dolphins once in that in that calculation. Losing to the Bills okay. twice, beating the Bears, Vikings, Lions, Jags, Seahawks. Okay. So fascinating. So eight and nine is eight, is, eight and nine is, the, which I think was my prediction last year as well, but that obviously didn't pan out. Um, and, and if they don't, if they don't win at least eight, I think we're probably considering firing the coach. This is his third season. Uh, we're probably looking at a new GM, all those things. Okay. And, um, how how are you feeling going into the season with is is Flacco going to be the guy to start while Wilson recovers? Yeah, I haven't heard any updates on whether Wilson's back or not for week 1. Uh but yeah, Flacco um 
<laughs> he's kind of got a Jekyll and Hyde thing. There's been moments in the in the preseason where he's been really good, just runs a really efficient offense, and then there's moments where you just go, "What the heck is going on?" You know, yeah. uh, what what are you, what are you doing? He had a pick in the preseason that was just just awful. I I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> so, but the offensive line's improved. If they can stay healthy, I think I think eight wins is a is a reasonable number. Okay. All right. Well, we went a little long in the sports segment, but it's just such a big weekend of college football starting up. We had to had to to do justice to it. But are we uh, ready to move on? I think so. I'd like to also announce I I am number two in my fantasy baseball league this year, and that feels like <laughs> a miracle. So I think I was bottom half last year. So number number two feels pretty good right now. now I got to buy. Any prize for finishing second, or do you have to win to 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 actually get anything? So we just finished up our regular season. So this week is the first round of the playoffs, and I get a buy. So that's kind of my that's kind of my token for for winning or for placing second uh, in fantasy baseball with okay. a whole lot of whole lot of people at our church. So yes, okay, all right. Well, with that update, you ready to move on? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So our main topic for today is continuing in our series. This is going to be part two of a four-part series on different kinds of theology. Thinking about theology from a diff- from different academic perspectives. Uh, we throw that term theology around a lot, but uh, within academic circles, the study of theology is often divided into these different um, approaches to theology. And so last week we talked about biblical theology, basically an attempt to uh, understand the Bible on its own terms, trace key themes along the storyline that develops from Genesis to Revelation, and um, doing theology in that manner. Our uh, brand, our branch of theology for today's episode is historical theology. So um, maybe let's talk a little bit about, uh, you want to do definitions first, John, or you want to? Uh, yeah, why don't, why, don't, why don't we do definitions? Um, okay, and then we can talk maybe about kind of our own experience with this and, and go from there. Yeah, um, yeah. Do you want me to read the talk- couple definitions we have here? Sure. So one of them, is, is one of them your definition that I'm reading here? Yeah. Okay. Though I'm sure I probably got that from somewhere. I pulled it from one of my PowerPoint slides, but I, I, I want to be careful about fully attributing that to me. I probably pulled that from somewhere. Okay. We just we just don't know where. Exactly. So the myriad of influences upon Matt Harmon's life have come to the conclusion that the definition of historical theology is that is that a fair intro to this definition? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Uh, the attempt to trace the development of specific doctrines, for example, the Trinity, uh, throughout the history of the church, attention is paid to uh, heretical views that force the church to sharpen and refine the formulation of doctrine. Okay. Yeah. I, I still believe that. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm a fan. Um, and then, and then, uh, R. Scott Clark. Uh, says the fundamental job uh, of the historical theologian is to help the church and others interested parties to remember the theology, piety, and practice 
of the past, thus to provide a context for contemporary theological reflection, doxology, and praxis. Yeah. I like both. I think both of those are true um, while highlighting different areas. Sure. Uh, R. Scott Clark is far more qualified to speak on this than I am since this is his wheelhouse. But um, yeah, in essence, what we're looking at is to track the development of doctrine in particular, but also church practice and uh, as well. So um, I'm trying to think, uh, you know, in, in my uh, in my seminary education, I did not have a historical theology class, a separate one. So I had two distinct church history courses Mm-hmm. Which obviously, as you're talking about church history, you are talking about the development of doctrine along the ways. And, you know, because obviously key points in church history are often dealing with suddenly there's this massive controversy on the deity of Jesus or the Trinity or, you know, the doctrine of justification by faith or things like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in a sense, I think you have to know, uh, you have to know at least, at least a good bit about church history in order to understand uh, uh, historical theology, right? You have to know like the historical context, sort of what's going on in order to decipher yeah. how, how is this developing? Why is it developing the way it is? Right. Yeah. And I think um, now to, in fairness, I, my systematic theology courses in seminary, I went to, I went to Trinity for those who don't know, uh, my systematic theology courses, though, did actually a very good job of blending in historical theology as we were talking about different doctrines of the church. Mm-hmm. So uh, we would often take a specific section. So we'd start with what does scripture say? And then uh, we would look at what have key figures throughout the history of the church said about this particular doctrine and kind of trace the development uh, of key ideas in that fashion. But uh, I know at Grace, we have a specific um, class that's basically devoted to this area of historical theology. Yep, yep. We sure do. Uh, development of Doctrine, I, b- I believe, is what it's called. Uh, historical Development of Doctrine. History of Doctrine in the Church. Oh, that's it. You're right. I mean, I think we offer that class under a, a couple different titles in different contexts. But yeah, that's basically the, the idea there. Um, so what about you? What, what, what's been your experience with uh, with historical theology? So on, honestly, I think I think a good bit of it has come through church history. So uh, trying, you know, reading about the Council of Nicaea, uh, Chalcedon, th- things like that, and doing some some doing some both mirror reading and of, of the documents that they produce and uh, reading about the context around them, uh, realizing that a number of these creeds that are written during these periods aren't in a vacuum. They're written dealing with some significant problem that the church is dealing with, uh, whether it's the Gnostics or whether it's, uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, divisive teachers that are out there. They're dealing with yeah. these problems. Um, and that's why some of these things don't always answer all of our modern questions and why we need to continue to do theology in the modern world to deal with different problems that are coming up or different things that are happening. 
Um, so yeah, I think a lot of mine has come through. Uh, I, I, I took that history of doctrine course uh, at Grace, gosh, probably back in 2011, 10, maybe. And <laughs> about a decade ago, over a yeah, decade ago. Yeah. So I, I don't remember everything. I knew, I know we've read uh, Alistair McGrath's excellent historical theology book uh, for that. And I still use that as a reference. I go back to that all the time. Very helpful. Yeah. But, but a lot of, a lot of what I do in church history is how I bring this in is how do we, how did the church deal with the problems in their, in their day and day and time? You know, these are things that they're really dealing with. So we'll read the apostles creed and go, what, what were these early Christians dealing with? And why did they write this document the way, the way it is? As we break it apart, it's fascinating to, to sort of see like, oh, clearly somebody's challenging this. Clearly somebody's challenging this. And the church is addressing yeah. that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, for me, um, this is a great... One of the things I love about historical theology is that it, it in essence, it blends uh, to my favorite things in terms of history itself. Yeah. Uh, but also theological reflection. And, you know, I think the, the most, uh, one of the most obvious examples of that, I mentioned it in my definition is the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, uh, we all need to affirm that the Trinity is a biblical doctrine. It is rooted in scripture, but, um, you know, if you were to ask questions like, well, did, did Paul, did the Apostle Paul believe in the Trinity? Well, it depends what you mean by that. <laughs> you know, I, the, the Apostle Paul would, would not uh, probably have been able to articulate uh, the doctrine of the Trinity in the same way that uh, the Nicene Creed does. Sure. In terms of understanding that there is one God and three persons uh, that share the same essence, but are yet distinct persons um, and, and the specific uh, even Latin terminology that came to be used to try to articulate that. But uh, when you look at what the New Testament itself points to, as well as the Old Testament, our, our, our articulation of the doctrine of the Trinity is basically trying to summarize and articulate what the Bible itself says about the nature of God. And so, yes, we use later terminology uh, that is not explicitly found in the Bible. I mean, the term Trinity is not found in the Bible, but the doctrine is absolutely there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Once you have a concept of the Trinity, I think it's hard to read Ephesians 1 uh, without coming to some, some conclusion of the Trinity. Yeah, and, and it's it's one of those things where these later church fathers are looking back and trying to articulate and summarize all the different pieces of what the New Testament and, and the Old Testament as well says about the nature of God. And so we have uh, Tertullian to, think, to thank for the specific term, Trinity, but the doctrine of the Trinity itself is obviously... Uh, firmly rooted in scripture itself. I mean, you think of, um, and I know Zach in Ohio will appreciate this reference, the uh, the baptismal formula at the end of Matthew, baptizing them in the name of 
the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So in you're baptizing them in one name, and yet there's the mention of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't necessarily demand <laughs> that you triple dunk people, but um, it's, now you're just sticking. Now you're just sticking a, a stick in his eye. You know that's right. You're that's just going right. after him a little bit. Yeah. Do you remember when we were in Israel together and we I found do. that yeah. baptismal? Where they, where it appears they did do the triple immersion, the different directions, and he, I think he Zach was, got in it right and took a picture he or was got behind giddy it as a schoolgirl. He was yeah. so giddy over that. So, yes, but um, so let's 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 think a little bit about how does how does histor- Well, let's start. Let's maybe go here first. Let's try to distinguish how does historical theology differ from but contribute to or relate to, say, biblical theology, and then eventually we're going to talk about systematic theology and and pastoral theology, but how would you kind of carve out the specific niche for historical theology, and then how does it contribute maybe to some of these other areas of theology? Yeah, one way I think it's it's different uh, is it's not solely looking at... at, uh, it's not, well, in contrast to biblical and systematic, certainly, it's not solely looking at scripture. Uh, it's looking at culture and the history and, and, and uh, the climate around the development of men uh, and Christians reading the scriptures and, and how they're coming to conclusions. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one really big difference that, uh, that, that I think of. Um, uh, the other thing is, it's mostly, I, I would say, historical theology is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive, that, that it's something that describes what has happened. It looks back uh, and, is, and is describing things without prescribing things for the future. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, largely right in terms of uh, it, it being a descriptive enterprise. Um, though I do think there is, and this is where you get a little bit of the overlap of disciplines, but um, you know, when you track the development of certain doctrines, I mean, we would all, we would all still affirm um, looking at the doctrine of the Trinity that is still prescriptive for us today. Uh, sure. Even though it's developed throughout uh, the history of the church for sure. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's, if you try to do systematic theology, which we'll talk about next episode, Without engaging historical theology, you are cutting yourself off from such vast riches of resources. And furthermore, what you're really doing is um, you're engaging in a discipline that um, either pretends like the past doesn't exist, or you're just benefiting from all the hard work that's been done in the past and pretending as if it's not been done. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So for our listeners, and not not just for pastors, not just for ministry leaders, but for the average person in the pew, um, what are some ways that you think that they can um, benefit from or even at some level practice um, this area of historical theology? And how might it help? Yeah, I, I mean, I think having an understanding of how doctrines like the Trinity, 
uh, or like the development of the inspiration of scripture, you know, how, how those doctrines developed over time keep us from making mistakes uh, that were made throughout the history of the church. Um, so I, I, I think of a good understanding of, uh, of uh, oh my goodness, uh, a good understanding that the Old Testament is uh, just as valuable as the New Testament and the New Testament develops a lot of themes and, and, and things like that. Uh, help us from saying things like we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. You know, you know, it, 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 with with yeah. a good understanding of of historical theology and and how we've thought about the Old Testament from the very earliest days of the church, can help us avoid yeah. some of those errors and some of those temptations, really. Uh, and and even sure. just having a kind of not 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 in depth, not master's level, not not even bachelor's level, but just sort of like a cursory knowledge of the history of the church, the problems that it had, and how it chose to deal with those problems can help us uh, fit together and deal with problems that we are dealing with today um, by people who probably know better, um, but uh, but are behaving, uh, behaving that way anyway. Sure. Yeah, I think um, one of the best uh, benefits of historical theology is that when you see people from the history of the church wrestling with different doctrinal issues, living at a different time period, they're usually pr- approaching it from different perspectives, from different angles that we today may not think about. And so um, that can be very illuminating Mm-hmm. And giving us additional insight into what scripture says and how to think about uh, a theological idea or a doctrine. Um, and I think in terms of practical ways, I mean, we'll, we'll have a link in the resource section to uh, an overview article about what is historical theology. And we'll have a link in there to uh, a, a, a hefty tome <laughs> by Greg Allison entitled Historical Theology and Introduction to Christian Doctrine. It's like a nearly a thousand pages, I think, in terms of uh, length. So it's a it, it's a beefy boy. Um, and then Alistair McGrath's um, Historical Theology textbook as well is good. These those those books tend to be more reference works where you're like, oh, I'm curious about how the about baptism, for example. How did the church understand baptism early on and how did that develop and and how does that how does that shape maybe how I should think about baptism today um, but beyond kind of accessing some of those um, I think one really helpful and engaging way to indirectly work on this area is to read biographies of key Christian thinkers throughout the history of the church. So, you know, reading uh, Peter Brown's biography on Augustine or reading, um, oh, why am I blanking on uh, uh, Roland Bainton's uh, biography of Martin Luther, Here I Stand. Mm. Like key figures where they're going to tell the life story, but they're also going to talk about some of the doctrinal issues that they're wrestling with. Um, and, and those can just be really helpful indirect ways and accessible ways to um, to access some of the the fruits of historical theology, I, I'd also add uh, Crossway has done uh, 
some some recent pamphlets that have been around uh, shorter usually, but uh, written works by uh, Chalmers, J.C. Ryle. I mean, I mean, a lot of these guys from the 16th, 17th, 1800s who wrote these really powerful uh, pieces that that uh, can be beneficial, um, and and yeah. they're being repackaged and reprinted by Crossway right now. And they, they look great. Um, and they, I've read a few. They're, they're yeah. wonderful. Yeah, that, that reminds me uh, of another Crossway series they have where um, they'll take a key thinker and have someone write sort of a, a hybrid of biography slash what their approach to the Christian life was. So they've got entries on people like Augustine, uh, Jonathan Edwards, B.B. Warfield, uh, Martin Luther, where it's sort of Martin Luther on the Christian life or Jonathan Edwards mm. on the Christian life. So they tell, you know, you got to tell some measure of a biography about the person to help you understand it. But then they give you insight into how they thought about the Christian life, areas of conversion, sanctification, all those sorts of things, which is another sort of entry point into historical theology as well. And, and if I remember right, those are short. Um, they're not. They're not under two hundred pages. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not super long, so that they're very digestible. Yes. All right. Are we ready to move on, John? I think so. Okay. Let's do today in sports history. Okay, September sixth, twenty twenty two, nineteen forty six. All-American Football Conference begins regular season play as the Cleveland Browns beat the Miami Seahawks. Ah, that classic matchup. Uh, 44 to nothing uh, before 60,135 people at Cleveland's Municipal Stadium. Yeah, the the Miami Seahawks. Yeah, yeah. Classic uh, franchise. (laughs) Yeah. Indeed. I assume that I assume they moved to Seattle at some point. I have no idea how that relates to the current franchises. Maybe, maybe so. Um, all right, uh, 1975 U.S. Opens uh, women's tennis, Forest Hills, New York. Uh, Chris uh, Evert uh, wins her first of six U.S. singles titles. Beat and she beats uh, Yvonne <laughs> Gulgong. Uh, Collie, gosh, of Australia. My <laughs> goodness, that's Australian. Uh, yes. 576462. Yeah. Have you watched any U.S. Open tennis this this time around? Not. I haven't watched U.S. Open tennis in probably 15 years. Did you ever get to go? I mean, that's a New York thing. No. And it's I was like too- right across the parking lot, isn't it, from, from where the Mets yes, play? Yes. Well, you know, this weekend was Serena Williams' last uh, uh, go-around at uh, – at the U S open. And uh, yeah, it was going on at the same time as the Mets games because they were talking about it on the Mets broadcast. If that tells you what I was watching. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, I honestly, I haven't found the U S open or any tennis really interesting since gosh, probably Pete Sampras. That was probably the last time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was my childhood. So yeah. Um, 1985, Mark Messier, loses control of his Porsche and totals three cars and would later be charged with hit and run and careless driving. Uh, he would pay a fine. 
yeah, I would hope so. I'm surprised he didn't go to jail for that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a hockey star in Canada. I imagine he wrecked that Porsche in 1985. He was playing for. Edmonton. I don't know where that was. Did, didn't Messier play for for the Rangers? Not until like Rangers? not until late 80s, early 90s. Okay. Yeah, it was. I want to say during the 80s, he was on those. Uh, uh, I believe the Oilers, Ed Edmonton Oilers, maybe the Montreal Canadiens. Our Canadian okay. fan base is going to be very upset with me. Outraged that um, we don't know that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 95, Cal Ripken Jr. breaks Lou Gehrig's record, plays in 2,131 straight games. Uh, and I think he went for a couple more seasons on, on that uh, tear. Yeah, he went a little bit beyond that before he took a break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2008 U.S. Open Women's Tennis Serena Williams wins her third U.S. title, beats uh, Jelena Janovic of Serbia. Gosh, uh, 6475. <laughs> yep. Gosh. One more. Oh, uh, 2020. Oh, this is two years ago. Uh, world number one tennis player. Oh, goodness, another tennis. Uh, Novak Djokovic. No, that's yep. wrong. Yeah, that's right. I, that's right. Did I get that right? It's Djokovic. Yep. Okay, goodness. I was thinking that basketball player from Denver is what I just pronounced. Um, <laughs> Jokic, yeah. Yeah, very similar. Uh, yeah. It's sensationally disqualified in the fourth round of the U.S. Open after hitting a ball in frustrating, frustration, striking a line judge. Uh, trailed Pablo Carena, Busta, 5-6 in the first set. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was during the COVID year there, right? So 2020, but yeah, he uh, he, he felt terrible about it as anyone should, right? In frustration, smacks the ball. I think he hit the line judge in the head, like yeah. just like absolutely, like oh my gosh, what just happened? Um, if uh, if memory serves, yes. <laughs> All right, you got a you got a preference out of that group? Um, it's probably not tennis. Uh, what I am, I am probably a Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, beats Lou Gehrig's record fan. I can go with that. I think that's the most historically significant uh, event there on the on the list. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Cal Ripken, it is one thing you liked. Uh, this weekend we celebrated my dad's 60th birthday, so uh, that was fun. Uh, got to got to have a uh, so he requested. He said to my mom, goes, oh, my goodness, I would love a Carvel ice cream cake. And kind of kind of what have you ever heard? Have you ever had or heard of a Carvel I, ice cream cake? I think I've vaguely heard of heard of this. So it's a Long Island brand. And he asked for this. And my mom kind of went, well, yeah, we're we're in Indiana. We're not getting that. <laughs> and she went to Kroger and lo and behold, they had Carvel ice cream cakes there. So we had a Carvel ice cream cake. Um Okay. for his uh, 60th birthday. Yeah. So was it just uh, your parents and you and Andrea then celebrating? No, Andrew was studying. So it was, it was me, my parents, and my brother was there as well. Joel was still in Joel. town. Yep. Yep. Still there. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. So yes, uh, dad's 60th birthday. I attempted to buy him a cane for his 60th birthday, and my wife prevented me from doing so. How, how do you think Scott Sloat would have responded to that gift? I think he's of he's of good good cheer. You know, I think he would have responded well. He he's got a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. So oh, good for him. 
Well, yeah. happy, happy birthday. A shout out to Scott Sloat on, uh, on the big six. Oh, yeah. Uh, for me, uh, mine was, uh, getting to preach yesterday at my home church, Christ covenant church. We are working through Hebrews and I preached, uh, chapter one verses five through 14. So it's fun to get a chance to, to preach that text, beautiful text, a lot of fun to, uh, to work through that. So very much worth your time to go listen to. If it's posted, I'll put it in the show notes. Well, I, I didn't talk to talk about this pre-show, but hey, here's a, a peek behind the scenes here. I was thinking we could potentially post it as a bonus episode. It's not really an episode and put it in our feed for later this week. Oh, okay. Yeah, we could do that. Do we have video? I download- yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that we, that we, publish the video anymore okay. on YouTube. Well, I just want to make sure we don't get sued by our church for stealing their no, uh, their, their no, property I, or anything I, like that. I yeah. think I can download the MP3 <laughs> and uh, throw it on there as a bonus episode. Uh, episode again in quotes there. So we'll, we'll see. No promises, but don't be okay. surprised if it pops up in the feed, say maybe Thursday of this week. We'll, we'll target it for there. And uh, and will we add? Will you add commercial breaks in there for for uh, for that also? <laughs> there, will be, there will be no commercial breaks. I might do a little intro to orient people to what they're about to hear, but uh, n- no commercial breaks. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. No promises, but all right. We have talked college football. Welcome back, college football. We have talked predictions for the Jets season. We have talked historical theology. We've talked Cal Ripken. We've talked Scott Sloat turning 60 and me preaching at CCC. So I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And so all that is left to say is until next time, the Lord bless y'all real good. Later. Later.